0: If you are ambitious, career-wise, or to have your ideas heard by the right folks, then learning to brief and write at a level that's ready for the President's Daily Briefing is a great place to start, I think. You want your ideas to grow legs, when appropriate, beyond your command, beyond your agency, beyond your service. Especially as we think about comprehensive and holistic approaches that go beyond the whole of nation approach, we may want our ideas to be passed easily to folks at US Agency for International Development, US Department of State, Department of uh, Education, Department of Agriculture, industry leaders, grant and fellowship programs, and of course our allied sisters and brothers as well. Policymakers and lawmakers have piles of white papers and policy and strategy recommendations that fail to make it past their front office, not because they're bad ideas, but because they are not immediately clear and understood by the gatekeepers of these senior public servants. At the end of the year, a couple faculty and I have, in the past, run workshops right before graduation for interested students, so it's on policy writing. And as you know, I take student feedback very seriously. And the feedback I've received time and again at this institution and previous colleges where I've worked is why did we not get this lesson earlier? Hence, this lesson now. Now, this is not a be-all and end-all of policy writing in any way. Instead, this is an attempted synthesis of the courses that I and others have taken lessons my colleagues and I have learned and communicated between ourselves, and observations and studies of persuasive writing. There are hundreds of great books on writing clearly, dozens I can recommend, dozens Katie can recommend, and here I'm only attempting to summarize some points. Before I begin though, I want you to imagine your audience, your customer, that senior commander, that cabinet member, that senator or representative, I want you to imagine that he or she is running off of no sleep for three days during a crisis, that he or she has read hundreds of pages of documents and received around-the-clock briefings from her staff and outside experts. This is your audience. Dedicated. Professional. Smart educated, but also exhausted and overwhelmed with information, barely able to look at yet another memo. This is our starting point, that is, our audience is our starting point. Be concise. Writing for policymakers are exercises in radical prioritization and exclusion, laying bare the core of what you wish to communicate. Often place the bottom line or conclusion up front. In this way, if the customer has little time, she may gain the most important information up front, unable to continue reading due to other priorities. We have to be okay with this. We have to accept this, that our customers, the ultimate target readers, may only be able to read the first line or two, first sentence or two. And have to move on. No introductory narrative hooks begin the story immediately. No background. Some use the inverse pyramid scheme by which one writes or says the most important point first, second most important point second, and so on. Once again, a policymaker commander may only have time to read the beginning of an assessment. Once again, we have to already be okay with this. We have to accept this while we're writing the document or while we're preparing that verbal briefing. But also, this allows the editor, sometimes it's an executive assistant, sometimes it's a briefing team, it allows that editor or editors to know what he can cut if space becomes an issue on the final product because they will start cutting from the last paragraph going upwards if they can end up only using maybe part of a page of what you offer. Avoid all evidence to justify your conclusion. Two or three references to evidence are often enough. If policymakers require more information, they will not be shy to ask. And obviously, you wanna file so that you can answer the questions, the stuff that you've taken out of your perhaps the first draft of your memorandum or take stuff that you've taken out of your briefing that you can then refer to very quickly when there's questions avoid acronyms no acronyms except one kind and I'll talk about it in a minute avoid specialized technical arcane or difficult words use plain mainstream non-expert language Amateurs use acronyms, amateurs use shorthand, amateurs use special, specialized language. Professionals are confident enough to ensure easy understanding with simple words. Now understand that acronyms never save the reader time. The human brain will read and understand the following title, Association of Southeast Asian Nations. The human brain will read or understand this title just as or even more quickly than the acronym ASEAN. Because when you say or write the acronym ASEAN, it may take a moment to decrypt. Acronyms only save the writer or the briefer time, not the listener or the reader. They do not save the reader anytime and to use a non-universally understood acronym is a sin. The only acronyms that should be used are those that are so universally recognized that they will be in both the Oxford English Dictionary and Merriam-Webster on their own. Examples include UK and NATO. NDU, on the other hand, must be written as National Defense University every single time because NDU is not universally recognized. Never use an acronym the second time you reference an organization, as The Economist sometimes does. Refer to the entire phrase or the the entire title of an organization throughout the paper, no matter how boring it looks to you. In this way, a policymaker does not have to return to an earlier section, flip pages, to decrypt what you are writing. This is especially important if the reader chooses to read your paper out of order. Some will argue that acronyms can be used within particular organizations. If, for example, you serve at Cybercom, the commander may be very familiar with a litany of important acronyms. But your paper or your white paper, your briefing, or your strategy recommendation memo to the commander of CyberCom, if you want it to get passed to, for example, the cabinet or the president. And by the way, combatant commanders sometimes do forward papers to their colleagues and their higher ups if they're important and relevant. But your paper, if you use acronyms, specialized language that are only understood within cybercom if this is what you pass to them and they try to pass it on to other people to higher-ups and cabinet members other uh, combatant commanders they may be dead on arrival that is your paper or your papers may be dead on arrival glossed over or immediately forgotten you want your papers and your memos to have legs to have the capacity to launch to the highest echelons Of responsibility in our military and government. Repeat the same word as much as necessary, as opposed to using inaccurate or confusing synonyms. The thesaurus is your enemy. Please put the thesaurus away. Do not use the thesaurus. Use the simple word. If you have to use it over and over again, 20 times in 20 sentences, that's fine. This is not acceptable at some universities. This is not acceptable at some colleges. It is acceptable at business schools. It is acceptable for programs that teach policy writing, but at a typical academic institution, that's not acceptable. But since you won't be writing as an 06, an SES, uh, or a general officer or the civilian equivalent, you will be writing for, again, senior commanders, for policymakers, or for policymaker staff, or for lawmakers, or for lawmaker staff. So we very much. Um, Again, this is not, you're not writing for universities outside of NDU, so you may want to practice or at least think about uh, different approaches to writing in your career versus in an academic program. Avoid pronouns if there could be even the tiniest room for confusion. Precision and accuracy above style always. One-line paragraphs are acceptable. Three-word sentences are fine. Starting sentences with conjunctions is fine. This is accepted. Section headings are part of the substance. Do not repeat section headings or what's in the section headings into the body of your memo or your paper. Again, this goes against most university standards. But we're not writing for universities, we're writing for policymakers. We're writing about national security. In some cases, we're writing about life and death issues. Use oxford commas in every grammatical tool to reduce possible ambiguity. And simultaneously, and this is a very tough balance, simultaneously avoid pedantic grammatical rules if you think they get in the way of meaning. Dare to be dull. Writing should refrain from artificial framing, from pretty flourishes, or an exciting title. Your audience is already passionately interested in protecting national interests. The story should tell itself plainly. Your job is to get out of the way of the story. Take special care that your title and subheadings are not are descriptive and not cute. That they are dull and not entertaining. For American English, your writing style is that of the Wall Street Journal. Most important is the What's uh, what's News section on the front page of the physical versions of this newspaper. And I have some examples I can provide you. It has changed a little bit over the years. Now they're a little longer than they used to be in the 90s. I can give you some older issues, um, and I can point you to some great examples. All you need to do is email me uh, or give me a message on MS Teams. So this style of of summary, that is what is on the front page of the physical paper of the Wall Street Journal under the title, What's News? This style of summary can inform us especially how we form and write our first sentence. For American English, the word choices should be similar to that which is found in USA Today, the, the daily newspaper. USA Today uses a fixed, limited vocabulary Meant for 8th graders and up in no way, shape, or form am I causing any disrespect to USA Today. It's a newspaper that I read along with the Wall Street Journal and others. It's a good newspaper in part because it uses crystal clear language. For American English, style and word choice inspiration can be found in some fiction. Now, this is just my opinion. My opinion is you can find inspirations in books by Ernest Hemingway and Lee Child. Ernest Hemingway, I would recommend the book, Islands in the Sea. And Lee Child, I'd recommend the book, The Persuader. Now there's no need to purchase these books. You can sample the first chapters on uh, eBooks or iBook platforms for free from almost any device or computer. If your writing looks sophisticated, then it's too complex. It should appear deceptively simple. What is sophisticated, scholarly, academic is your methodology, your use of evidence, your logic, your critical analysis, all of which is conducted before you write or prepare a verbal briefing. For inspiration, you can search on YouTube, For the following words, you can search, explain one concept in five levels of difficulty. These videos show complex ideas broken down to audiences of different ages at different education levels. What you write or brief should be halfway between level two and level three, so between an eighth grader and college freshman. Now, this is not because your readers are stupid or uneducated. Absolutely not. This is because meetings, papers, and briefs, data, and information bombard your readers all day, every day. And we must ensure that our ideas our ideas, are communicated so that they are understandable immediately. Policymakers and strategic leaders have no issue asking for further details or data if they need it.